The Mike Lupica Podcast. New York Daily News columnist and best-selling author. Mike Lupica has covered just about Mike every sport. Lupica. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about Woods after the basketball game mm-hmm. the other night. Everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy, the next this guy. And Michael said, no, he's the first Tiger. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Hello and thanks for joining us on the Mike Lupica Podcast. Today we will be talking with uh, not just a tennis legend, but a legend of our country. She's a former number one professional tennis player. She won 39 Grand Slam titles in singles, mixed doubles, and doubles. She is the great Billie Jean King, for whom our National Tennis Center is named after. But before we get started with Billie Jean, this is from Geico. When shopping for car insurance, consider this. Geico has been saving people money on car insurance for over 75 years. So if you're serious about savings, it's simple. Go to Geico.com. After 75 years, they know how to save you money. Welcome to the Mike Lupica Podcast. And we have a special guest today. And anybody who follows my writing career knows that I have been a ridiculous Billie Jean King fanboy for a long time. And, you know, I used to call her one of the major women figures of, of the the last century in this one, but that that's too limiting. She has just been one of the great figures in the history of our, our country. She won 39 Grand Slam titles in singles, doubles, and mixed. Our National Tennis Center in Flushing, Queens, is named after her. She came out of Long Beach, California, and and changed history in all sorts of ways, and I am so happy to have her with us today. Hey, Billie Jean. Hi, Mike. How are you? Well, first of all, happy birthday. You you, you had a birthday uh, a couple of weeks ago. Had, and Yeah, big 7-4. Yes, I did have a birthday. Hey, and, and so, you know, I was thinking about that because I forget from time to time that November 22nd is your birthday, and where where were you and what were you doing on November 22nd, 1963, Billie Jean? I was tw- turning 20 years old in 1963, and I was at Cal State LA um, in the geology class, and I came out of the geology class, and Larry, my uh, boyfriend at the time, um, was waving me over to the tennis court so I could see across this this grass field, and uh, he kept saying, hurry, hurry, and I ran over, and he said, there's been an announcement on the PA system that's here, and the, the, the president's been shot. I said, is he okay? And he said, we don't know. So everybody was huddling around and listening and crying and worried, and then they came over, the loudspeaker, and said that he'd passed away at one something central time or whatever, and I, we, were just, we were just finished. We just could not believe that it was true, and you have to remember we didn't have all the, the technology that we have today to keep us informed, so we were always waiting for these different announcements. It was just excruciating and trying to imagine what. Um, then we were saying, well, Jackie Kennedy, was she okay? The first lady, you know, you start going a little deeper in your thoughts, and then, you know, did any of the, the people that, you know, in the line of fire, basically, did they survive? Did, what, you know, nobody could figure out who would want to do this, and and how did this happen? So it was just it, it was just a horrible um, day for our country, and it still is always a reminder on my birthday to be uh, to. Re- I always think about that day at at Cal State LA, Los Angeles. So uh, 
you know, I just always think about it. And then, and I think about all the deaths in the 60s. It wasn't just JFK. It was, you know, we had Eber, uh, Ebers was got killed. He got assassinated. We got Malcolm X got assassinated. We have uh, Martin Luther King. We have, you know, then we have Robert F. Kennedy all in the 60s there. So it was really a rough decade of, of, of all these assassinations and just, it was terrible. Billie Jean, you know, I don't know at what point you began to think of yourself as a political figure, okay? Because, it, it, you know, when people say, oh, sports and politics don't miss, I just laugh. And I say, yeah, yeah, they kind of do. And, yeah, and sports you. Sports are politics. Everything's a pol- everything is political, okay? The sports is always, I mean, if you take each area that people are involved in, Tell me there's not politics in it, please, and everything that's politics. Did you, when you were fighting for equal prize money, and and you, you were fighting the fights that are are beautifully uh, listed in the movie Battle of Sexes, which we'll talk about in in a minute. Did you think of yourself as a political figure? Did you think of yourself as as leading a, a movement, or was it just my friend Billy Jinking saying, "I'm not going to let those guys push us around." Uh, I probably thought of the bigger picture. I thought of this was just another example um, or a microcosm of society that we need to keep pushing forward. And you always hope that it's another example that'll spill over on on everything. Um, but I knew it was about history. And when I played Bobby, Bobby thought it was about money. <laughs> oh, we, we came from a very, very different place. Um, so. I understood, I think I had a sense of what was going on, and I understood the impact it could have. And when 90 million people watch something, it has a, you know, you have to remember when this happened, 1973. But I always thought of myself um, since I was 12 as somebody who would fight for equality for everyone. And so um, this fit into what I was meant to do, what I wanted to do. I knew it was an amazing opportunity when I played Riggs because of, like I said, the exposure that was going to happen. And, um, and also it was needed. Um, you know, we, I fought for professional tennis from amateurism, and in the amateur days we made $14 a day. And, but if you look at tennis, it's a reflection of a lot of other areas of what was going on. And so I wanted us to be a pro sport. You know, I grew up as a kid who played team sports, <laughs> I played basketball. I love basketball. I love the NBA. I love I love the baseball. I love football. Uh, I love track and field. I love, but I love team sports. And basketball was my first love. My dad was really good in, in basketball. In fact, he was asked to join the early days of the NBA um, back in the old days, and he did not because there was no money, and he was he was worried about. I had already been born, so that made it difficult on him. He had, he just thought about security. But, and then my brother played 12 years of professional baseball, Randy Moffitt. So I, sports was a big part of our life. My mother was a really good athlete but never talked about it. She was a great swimmer and a good, great runner. And uh, so those, those are the things that were happening. But so um, as a child, I, I always wanted tennis to be a pro sport because to me when you're a professional, meant you're really good. And as an amateur, I feel like, well, everyone's an amateur. You know, like, this is ridiculous. We're never going to be appreciated unless we're a pro. Also, there was a lot of corruption in our sport uh, as an amateur, which I just abhorred. I wanted us to have integrity as a sport. I wanted us to be inclusive. 
Uh, at that time, uh, the best male players weren't allowed to play at Wimbledon for years and years and years and all the different uh, Grand Slam tournaments that we know about today and that we measure success by. And they weren't allowed to play. There was a five-year uh, stint there where Labor didn't even play. And that was wrong. And I wanted them to be able to play. I wanted the people of this world to see the best of the best. And the best of the best males were not playing our tournament. So I would go watch them. Uh, like even as a 12-year-old, I watched them, and I knew it was obvious they were the best. So I always felt they should be playing these tournaments. So we finally made that breakthrough, but then the, the men rejected us. <laughs> and that was, really, that was a real horrible time for me personally because these guys were my friends and I really liked them and cared about them and, you know, very close to them. And, and you know, they just, they just didn't have any time for us, the women. So the one good thing that happened from all this is that the women had to go uh, and be empowered ourselves and be more independent and just fight for our own rights. But I always wanted to do it together. I wanted the men and women to have one association, one one union. Uh, we had to call it an association because we're uh, independent contractors, but really what we are is a union, uh, to have an opportunity to be together and have power. Uh, so that's why the women started, you know, that's why we started the WTA and all the different things that happened. So uh, it wasn't planned exactly, but, you know, I have those two sayings that champions adjust or adapt and pressure is a privilege. So... Um, I was feeling there was a lot of pressure, but it was also an opportunity to adapt and to make something work. We're talking to my friend, the great Billie Jean King on the Mike Lupica podcast. You know, I, I think of you all the time because, you know, even though you were fronting for women's rights, they, they were really more basic than that. They were human rights. And I was wondering, Billy, what are you thinking these days in, 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 in the world of Me Too America now to see women to, to stepping forward with a different kind of, of empowerment? Because what you faced back in the day, I was thinking about it after I saw the movie, that was a form of harassment from men, okay? So what are you thinking oh, yeah, now? But look how Howard, yeah, but look how Howard Gosell talked about it. It was terrible. It was always about our looks and never our accomplishments. And um, it's just... Mike, Mike, what it is, it's just an imbalance of power in general. Um, you never want anybody to have an imbalance of power. Um, and all this is is about power and control. And it's got to stop. And I think the women are very brave, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more and more stories as time goes on. But right now we're hearing mostly about the industry of, of the, you know, the movie industry and the news in- industry. And uh, But I'm sure we'll be hearing more and more, and uh, also gymnastics. It's another one. So sports oh. is always a part of this discussion, believe me, in a big way, because um, of coaches and people who have more power, uh, organizations, you know, like national governing bodies, uh, especially when you're in a subjective sport, like gymnastics or figure skating, the politics, uh, the having to depend on human judgment. If they don't like you, they give you a lower score. It's very political, and uh, that's why those sports are very difficult for me to watch sometimes because I just feel like, at least in tennis, it's in or out, and at the end, it's very objective. You either won or you lost, and I like that about um, my sport of tennis. We're talking to Billie Jean King on the Mike Lupica podcast. You know, um, we, we have a tradition, Billie Jean and I do, every year at Wimbledon, 
we she she carves out time i don't know how not, not, we, have fun. we have a breakfast at wimbledon she takes a place pretty much across the street from from the grounds and and we have a wonderful time and and, and it, it's a chance to catch up and it's talk about what's going on in the world um in 2016 i remember we were having breakfast and this is trump's running and hillary's running and and you kind of joked that day you know, he's, he's Riggs and she's me. And, and, you know, it didn't turn out the way you wanted to. So we had quite a different conversation in, in 2017 after Trump had gotten elected. Somebody, Billy Jean, um, I've known him for a long time. Billy Jean knows from the United States Open. Um, how do you yeah, feel? Yeah, we know him. He comes out, he usually comes out the second Tuesday, not this year. Obviously, he's, he's president now, but, um, he loves sports, and of course he's a New Yorker, so he's going to come to big events. Um, no, he won. He won, and that's it. You know, one thing about being in sports is one thing it teaches you is to be resilient and to. One thing we're taught: if we lose, you don't whine, and if you win, you can pretty much say whatever you want. <laughs> uh, so I think it's important to to move on. Although I think there are some circumstances that still need to be investigated um, to understand what the truth is. Um, but, you know, he understands media uh, unbelievably well, and he appealed to a certain segment of this country, and they won. So it's like move on, always respect uh, the office of presidency, and uh, that's the way it is. I'm very big on that, and I think um, I, I feel that Hillary was would, would better equipped to be president, but she's not there, so we have to adjust and, and uh, try to figure this out. And if people aren't happy, then do something. Democracy is a pretty powerful thing, and we have to we have to take better care of it. I don't think the voting turnout is any good. I think people have apathy in this country. We need to turn out and vote. I don't care who you're voting for, and I think we need to really start thinking about country over parties, and I feel like it's party versus party more and more, and that is not healthy. So we need to think about each other, respect each other, and to think about our country. What, what, do, we, what do we want for our children? Uh, I think the millennials are the greatest generation for inclusion ever. I'm hoping that they will take it up another two or three notches about um, they're not going to put up with, my, with what my generation put up with, and rightly so. And that's what's happening with these harassment um, situations uh, these women are starting to understand they have to stand up for themselves and not, um, that's why I want equal pay. If you have equal pay, you start getting a balance of power. When you have a balance of power, then things are much better. You treat each other better uh, and you don't have that disrespect and that control going on as much. So it's very important. But, you know, it's just as important for women to check in with themselves. And also, I don't want men to feel like this is a witch hunt on them because that's not right either. Um, because if any women are, are, I think everybody needs a, a gut check on this, that, so we, we treat each other properly uh, with good boundaries. Um, but we're all, we're all in this problem solving together. It's not a man thing or a woman thing. It's a together thing. We're talking with the great Billie Jean King on the Mike Lupica podcast. More with Billie Jean in a minute. But first, a word from Audible. 
Audible makes getting more books in your life easy. What's not to love about that? They have an absolutely unbeatable selection of audiobooks, all that with fantastic performances. You can easily transform your long commute or your ride with Audible as I do. And I'm telling you, whether I'm in a train or a car, I do this all the time. Right now, you can start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. You have to go to audible.com slash Lupica. Audible has an outstanding collection of exclusive original short stories, comedy, all of that. Plus the best of news podcasts like this one and more handpicked and continuously refreshed. Be sure to check out audible.com slash Lupica to start your 30 day trial and get your first audio book free. I'm calling them today. I want at least one free. Talking to the great Billy Jean King on the Mike Lupica podcast. You know, I, uh, what? What? Why? Haven't you told them how we used to sit up until 4 o'clock like at Runyon's in New York after a, <laughs> after a match? Team ten, or particularly Tim Tennis, we'd go eat after Team Tennis, and we'd go and hang until 4 or 5. I love talking, you know, listening and talking with writers, and Mike's right there at the top, and, and you know, we used to hang out <laughs> you know, socially. Billy, that was when we really, when you, the New York Apples and World Team Tennis, which is still around, blessedly, that was when I really got to know you. And, and, and we had, you know, we had known each other from Wimbledon and we had a connection because of our, our, our mutual friendship with, with Bud Collins. But Billy Jean King, people would come in at two o'clock in the morning and we'd be in the back room at Runyon's, which is one of the great sports saloons on 50th and 2nd. And they'd, they'd be coming in after a game or something and they're sitting in the corner. Under a picture of Damon Runyon was Billy Jean King, and they do a double take, and then but it was New York, and I think that the thing I loved about when you first show, you embraced New York, you you got it, you have you know you're not a lifelong New Yorker, but I you must feel like a lifelong New Yorker by now. Oh, I've been I've I've lived in New York since the '70s, on and off. We did live in Chicago for a while as well, but I love New York. Um, you know, I started coming to New York in 1959 when I was 15. And I, I like city life. I like the culture. I like what it, op, the opportunities it gives. I love the hoods, the neighborhoods. Like I like the deli across the street. My Punjabi guys, I love them. I love, you know, our doorman at at the apartment. They're like, you know, extended family. Uh, I like the the local restaurants. I like going to the movies. I like going to plays. And they have everything. Um, the only challenge, though. For New York now, it's just so expensive for everyone, and that's why everyone's moving to the Bronx or moving, you know, Brooklyn's full now. They went through that 10-year period where everybody moved there for a while. Now it's packed and become more expensive, but it's 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 tough. But it's just it offers so much in the museums and the. I mean, oh, it just goes on and on. The art, oh, the art is beautiful. It's an amazing experience if you like that. If you like, you don't mind the chaos, which I like it. It's great, but if you don't like that, it's tougher. But then you go to, you know, we live close to Central Park, so we go over there and just chill. You know, um, it's so funny. I'm talking to Billie Jean King on the Mike Lupica podcast. And Billie Jean King, in all my years in the newspaper business, is the only athlete I've ever known who liked hanging around the press room. And she told this story. I'm going to have her tell it now because, um, um, again, Bud Collins and I, Bud, Bud Collins was my mentor, my dear friend. We lost him last year, and Billie Jean spoke. 
at his memorial service, which was a wonderful celebration of, of Bud's life. And, and, you know, we both share the feeling that neither one of our lives would have been quite the same if we hadn't known Bud Collins. But we would be typing in the press room at Wimbledon, the old press room at Wimbledon, and we'd turn around, and there would be Billie Jean King laughing her ass off. Tell, tell the story about what you would see when you came up. Well, what I used to do is sneak into the back of the press room just to watch you guys work. <laughs> because I really admire you, and I can't write a lick, so I really admire you guys. Um, but you and Bud would usually sit together, and then our other dear friend was Barry Lord, who's also passed away, God love him. Um, the three of you would kind of sit there together with uh, this New York-Boston, Northeast <laughs> kind of connection. Yeah. And you and Bud can talk to each other and type faster type fast, talk fast to each other, <laughs> get the story done, zip the paper out of the typewriter so fast, and Barry Lorge over next to you guys hasn't even written his first word down. And he's tearing his hair out, literally, trying to come up with, the, with his first word to put down. And you guys are totally finished on time, major <laughs> deadlines with time to spare. And I used to watch everybody, actually. And it's quite fascinating to watch the, the different personalities and how you process and how you figure out to get whatever you have to get done. And the one thing about being a journalist is there's deadlines every single day. And I don't think people realize the pressure that comes with that. And that's why you start stories ahead of the matches being even finished. And then they might have a turn of events at the match, and then you've got to rewrite your your total story. So there's a lot of pressure, daily pressure on you guys. Um, And I don't think maybe the outside world appreciated that very much but i certainly did and that's why i'm so fanatically uh tough on the players to give um the traditional media still uh time uh because there's so many different outlets now too when you give one guy or one woman or somebody uh time and effort there's a lot of outlets now too it's not just the the print it's not just the broadcast but you know there's all these different ways uh, of getting information out uh, that each person has um in their power so I, I make sure the players talk to the press as fast as possible because you guys all have deadlines. And I don't think sometimes the younger players appreciate this at all. Uh, but they're not taught right either. You have to, you have to teach and educate and uh, tell them why. And have, have them have a little empathy for the other guy, the other person who has their own set of challenges and pressures. You know, I, I was late getting to see the movie Battle of the Sexes. Um, I was leaving London when you guys were getting ready to go see um, it, I think, on the, the middle Sunday at Wimbledon. And I finally saw it, and I loved it, okay? I, I, as it, and, but the, the reaction, um, and, and Billie Jean knows my wife, Taylor, and my, her reaction, having not lived through it the, 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 the way I did, and I was at the, the Riggs King match in Houston, when we finished, when we were coming out of the movie, she said, I want all girls our daughter's age to see that movie. Because it, she felt that for all of the, the, the foofara around that match and, and people who weren't around then can't process what a big deal that match was. She wanted young women to see it. And I, I, it's a long way around of asking you, you always tell me that, 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 especially with Hillary, she, she had to get her journey out there, that, that not enough people understood her journey and understood her story. Um, do, do the kids still appreciate what was done to get them to this moment in, in, in tennis? Well, I think every generation's frame of reference is different. So if you're born later, you, like if you're a young person born into the world, 
and you look at this, okay, I want to be a tennis player, and you look at all the tournaments, all the money, all that there, you don't know anything else. So you have to, you know, I always tell kids they should, that history is really important, and the more you know about history, the more you know about yourself. Uh, and I loved history, so I love what came before me and whose shoulders I stood on, you know, Althea Gibson being one or Pauline Betts or all those different players, Alice Marble. Uh, so I knew, and the men, too, I thought of I stood on their shoulders as well like, because men and women play. So, um, you know, whether it be Fred Perry, Donald Budge, I mean, Vexatious, Tony Traver, all these guys, I knew everybody, every generation's name. And I don't think most of the players do today, and I think it's a, it just means so much more when you walk out there. Uh, I, I would say that I think it's just as important for boys to see this as girls. In fact, it might be more important because boys, basically in the world have the power still and you always want them to have empathy for um, others and I think it's real important I just I think I think when people lead they're leading all people they're not just leading one segment one one of the challenges women have is when we when we're leaders they say you know thank you for what you did for women's tennis you'd never say to a male thank you for what you did to uh, for men's tennis right. ever they, right. To a man, they're going to say, thank you for what you did for tennis. To women, they say, well, thank you for it. So, so it keeps our, our marketplace half as large, the way people's brains think. And women think the same way because we're taught to think that way. Uh, you know, women are taught to be perfect and men are taught to be brave. And women will never be perfect and men cannot always be brave. And I hate, these, I hate the way we're socialized. Uh, I think it really hurts us over the long run, all of us, in one way or another. Um, but I think um, Taylor, you're, Taylor, right? Your wife. Um, yeah. She she's right. The girls need to, but the boys need to see it too. Like Zach needs to see it because boys still are such a role model for particularly for daughters. I don't think they realize how important the men are to us as daughters. I don't think they have any understanding. My father, I got so lucky with my father because he believed in me as much as my brother. And you need fathers that believe in you, that tell you you can do anything, just like they try to, I hope they tell their sons the same thing. Because some, some fathers don't tell their sons that either. But you, you need to tell, you know, find out what your child does well and then tell them they do well because that's what gives a child self-confidence. When you tell them, oh, you do that really well, you know, that, that they start to blossom. And also, uh, nothing's easy. You know, I think a lot of times, we see the end result of something, you know, like an overnight success, uh, you know, uh, rock star. <laughs> then you, you hear about their journey, and then you realize how, how, how tough it is. But I'm a big believer, and if you read somebody's journey and what they did with their lives, you have a pretty good idea how they're going to be if you elect them to an office in anything. So that's why I want the kids to understand the journey. Like uh, our godchildren did not know Bernie Sanders' journey, journey did not know... Trump's journey, did not know Hillary's, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton's journey. They didn't know anybody's journey. They knew about two, two words per, per candidate. And I said, what does that tell you? And do you believe because someone says something derogatory about another human being that you should believe it? Go find out and then come up with an opinion. Uh, I think that's one of, and yet they have technology at their fingertips that we never had that I would have given anything to have had, um, back in the old days, uh, to look up their journeys, because the journey's right there. So I just hope young people use the technology that we're given now to help them make better choices. 
We're talking to Billie Jean King, who's just, he, I just, I'm so happy to know her because she's just one of the best people uh, I've ever met. When they first came to you with the idea for this movie, did you embrace it right away? When did they gain your trust that made you believe they were going to get the story of what happened in Houston in 73 right? Well, first of all, they don't need your blessing at all, but they wanted my blessing. And when I say they, I mean the directors, um, you know, Jonathan and Valerie, Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. Um, the writer, Simon Bolfoy, was probably the most important person in the beginning because he's got to have a script. He's got to write something, a screenplay. And then, you, and then um, Danny Boyle was very involved with Christian Coulson and the Cloud 8. It took about four years to do this. And, um, you know, they said, we, we've been researching you for a couple of years. We saw the documentary in London when we did a premiere at the View in Leicester Square and we would like to talk to you. So they talked to Lana and me three hours the next day, uh, Christian did at Wimbledon and he said, we really would like your blessing uh, to do this. And I said, well, you don't really need it, do you? And they said, not really. <laughs> but I, I, I met I met Simon um, uh, Bullfoy who wrote um, The Full Monty and he also won an Academy Award for Slumdog uh, Millionaire. So, this guy's a great writer, but I liked him as a human being when I met him first. And I read all his scripts, and most I think almost every one of his movies before I met him, which he had no idea. Except I did not read I did not read the full Monty. And I said, "How did you get started in this?" He said, "Well, I started writing, and I had a nice, sweet little idea. But you know, I had this movie, and I said, well, what was your what was it?'" And he goes, "Oh, you've never heard of it." I said, well, what is it? He said, well, it's a full monkey. I said, well, I've seen it four times. <laughs> I, he, he got fainted. Like, what? Now I've seen it five times. I saw it the other night from the fifth time. So anyway, um, he and I hit it off. I think that helped that I'd, that I'd seen his work and loved it. Um, but he's a really great guy. Uh, and then finally, I think Simon and then meeting the directors and then starting to realize who the cast would be because they um, – because Ilana said, well, who's going to be Billy? Yeah. Emma Stone. Emma Stone? I went, oh, my God. Seriously, you can get Emma Stone? Yeah, and then they said, well, Bobby's going to be Steve Corral. You can get Steve Corral? Are you kidding? Yeah. So, but it, it really came down to the integrity of the people I met. I really liked them, and now I like them even more as friends and getting to know them even better all the time. And so I did give my blessing to everyone and said, let's just go for it. And if I can help, fine. But my main thing was to stay out of the way once I talked to Simon uh, and help. I helped Emma with her tennis a little in New York and L.A. Uh, they wanted me to check the body hole that, you know, for Emma, which was Christian Caitlin. And she was, had a one, she had a twice backhand. So I said, that's good because they're hard to find today. <laughs> and she had a good overhead. She had a really good overhead. So it really came through in the movie in a wonderful way. I, I think it's probably the first movie that has tennis in it where I thought they did a really great job. And Jonathan and Valerie um, used film. So it was really 1973. The Fox Searchlight logo is 1973. The wardrobe is just amazing. Um, they have an amazing uh, team of people who put this movie together and they really were dedicated to it. Uh, so I, I they, they caught, they captured the essence and I think that's all you can hope for in a movie. Um, not a documentary. And so, uh, 
there we go. So it's it's been a really fun time, and, and just uh, I think it's being released uh, today. I think it's around now. It captures a moment in time. And, you know, Ilana, Ilana Kloss said to me um, this summer at Wimbledon, she said, everybody has to remember one thing. This is a film. It's not a documentary. And I, you know, I so I didn't expect every single detail of it to be pitch perfect. And I have to tell you, I forgot what a nemesis of yours Jack Kramer was until I saw this movie. Well, they had they had him represent the national governing body in the U.S. They kind of put everything into one. But yeah, we had we had a tough time, um, but we made amends in '84, which is great. Uh, at the Olympics, uh, Chancellor Young at UCLA uh, had a dinner for the '84 Olympics, and we sat next to each other. And he changed because he had a granddaughter for the first time, so he he finally got it, which was really great. And then, um, you know, just things keep moving along. Billy, you know, I don't think people are aware of how much you are out there and how much you travel and how much you talk to people and how much you try to educate people and not just young women, but especially young women. You, As you said at the start of this podcast, you turned 74 the other day, but you... <laughs> You act like you're about 44, and and, and it, again, this is a long way around me asking you, at this point in your life, what what makes you want to still be out there? What makes you want to still be preaching the gospel, especially of empowerment? Well, I've st- we started the Billie Jean King Leadership Initiative, so that's good, and um, we're really working hard, and that's to try to get equal pay for equal work, and just... Um, all the things that are going on in the news right now try to change the cultures uh, at every level, but particularly at corporate America. And actually, corporate anything um, could be international headquarters, but most of those are, a lot of them are in uh, the U.S. We're starting there first. Uh, we're doing, we're going in Australia during the semis, uh, the women's semis, we're going to be doing a huge celebration. We're also taking the leadership to Australia to have um, have meetings and have seminar. We're just—it's just about finished in development because it's going to—it's just around the corners in January. But um, so we're doing that. But I, I think it all stems back to the epiphany I had when I was 12, when I stopped it about everybody wearing white shoes and white clothes, white socks, playing with white balls, and everybody who played was white. And I asked, "Where's everybody else?" And that was the magic moment for me. That turned. That cha- I'd only been in tennis one year. I did want to be number one in the world, but that changed everything. Uh, was that epiphany when I was twelve? That I and so I will continue that until my last breath. You know, when we had breakfast this year at Wimbledon, the 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 story that 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 I found the most engaging and compelling. And for people who don't know, Billie Jean King has had multiple. <laughs> knee surgeries okay and 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 the cost of her career was bad knees and what what did we say seven knee operations i don't want to get it wrong how many knee operations have you had total my lifetime on my lifetime i've had eight eight surgeries okay but i had the i had knee replacement about six years ago and that's been a godsend it's the first time i hadn't been in pain since my early 20s and when you were talking about even after the knee replacement just being able to stand on the court and hit the ball and the feeling of the ball on the racket it was like all the years of your life melted away and you were that 12 year old girl today so what i'm asking you is 
How's the tennis game, kid? I'm not playing tennis, but I'm, my goal is to play again, to hit the ball. Ilana plays twice a week, runs five days a week, so she's, she's, she's still playing. And, you know, she'll play more if she gets a chance, but she still works 16-hour days. So she's, she's, I don't know how she fits it all, and she's an inspiration to me, how she does it. But uh, my, my goal is to be able to hit tennis balls again on the court. And uh, I do work out, but I, I'm not consistent enough because I work too hard this year particularly. Uh, so I'm trying to make a new pact to, to uh, make sure I take better care of myself because I'm very driven and I forget sometimes. You know, I'm just so focused and, and driven, so I've got to pay attention. Listen, I know you're on your way to an appearance. This was the only way I could get you to do this before the end of the year. I probably made you wear I probably made you wear out your voice and about halfway through this conversation in Delaware tonight, you're going to just start gasping for breath and say Mike Lupica is no, the no. reason. And I'll, 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 I'll tell him it was your fault. No, but actually it's probably a good warm-up, so it's good. Hey, you know, you know, I'm always happy to talk to you. I, I so am grateful that you did this and and you, you, you just keep doing what you're doing, kiddo, because you know what? The country's better because of the life you've led. So thank you well, very I, much. Thanks a lot, Mike. I love watching you. You're, you're in, there in the political thing, too. Some mornings I see you on MSNBC and others. But anyway, it's good to see you. And uh, thanks for all you do. And, you know, you wanna, you're, you're the best, man. I always have great memories and we continue to make some great memories along our journey in life and so thanks a lot and say hi to the family and i really appreciate everything you do billy i'll just i'll leave you with this i tell people when they see me on msnbc that's just because they must have run out of smart people that day and they say well that's you know that's we're out of smart people I enjoy, I enjoy seeing you when you're there that kind of connects me to you i like it so uh keep doing that and then because uh, we watch we watch everything though we watch all of them Anyway, thank you so much, and you're a great friend. I really appreciate it. Well, you're a great friend. Give my love to Alana, and, and have a great appearance tonight. And if I don't talk to you before uh, Christmas, uh, Merry Christmas and, and Happy New Year, kiddo. You too. Thanks a lot, Mike. The great Billie Jean King on the Mike Lubica podcast. Um, you, I could talk to her for another 40 minutes and not get to all the things. Uh, if you have not seen Battle of the Sexes, um, go see it. She is still as passionate about world team tennis as she has ever been. The Billie Jean King initiative is an important initiative in this country. But again, in this time of Me Too, in this time of Me Too, when women are talking about empowerment and harassment, go back and look at this woman's life and how she not only survived harassment in her sport, but triumphed over it. This is the kind of guest we have here. This is why this thing continues to grow. Please download it. Please subscribe to it. Go to the comments section and talk about what you heard from Billie Jean today. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, everybody. The Mike Lupica Podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. 